Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this outspoken event, which happens to be also the launch of the Celebration of Books, Mullaney 2016, uh, a wonderful annual event organised by lots of different people and businesses in this community, but kind of held together by the remarkable Claire Booth. Um, many of you will have seen the fabulous presentation that we've just had upstairs as part of that celebration, uh, organised by, uh, put together by uh, the artist Corrie Wright, uh, extraordinary thing. I think before we begin tonight, it's uh, appropriate that we take a moment to respectfully acknowledge the Jinnaburra people as the traditional owners of the land on which we're gathered. They are the keepers of the ancient stories of this place. I'd like also to acknowledge those whose ongoing effort to protect and promote Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander culture creates a lasting legacy for future elders and leaders, and not incidentally, a better and more tolerant Australia. It seems to me that uh, at this particular instant in world history and on the night before an election that it's especially important to be reminding ourselves of what is possible in this country. My name's Stephen Lang, I'll be your host tonight and it's my privilege to be interviewing two writers who are justly praised for the beauty of their writing. Our headline author is Mireille Juchot, who's flown up here from Sydney for the occasion and our introducing author is Elthus Muir, out of Brisbane. For those of you not familiar with the format of these evenings, I'll be having a conversation with both authors. I'll be talking to Elspeth here for about 15 minutes and Murray for about 45, allowing a period for questions at the end. After that, there'll be plenty of time to buy books and get them signed by both the authors. Our first author for this evening up here on the stage with me is Elspeth Muir, here to talk about her book, Wasted, which on any objective scale has attracted an extraordinary amount of attention, especially for a first book. I think you'd have to say also that the attention is well deserved. Elspeth has previously written for The Lifted Brow, Griffith Review, Voiceworks and Bump. She's a postgraduate student at the University of Queensland. Please welcome Elspeth Muir to Melania. <laughs> Now, as a way of, uh, of further introducing Elspeth, I want to do something a little unusual, if I may, which is to read aloud the first two paragraphs of this book, just to give you, the audience, uh, a sense of the strength of Elspeth's prose. It was hot when Alexander was buried, on one of those low Brisbane mornings in November when you might have scooped a fistful of blue from the sky if you'd stretched an arm out. Hot smells, jasmine, scrub, beer, dirt, Exhaust fumes, cigarettes, stink bugs, grass, and rotting mangoes crystallized in the heavy tropical air that turns southerners mad with despair. The temperature's not as high as back home, but the goddamn humidity. Crickets fucked in the bougainvillea, and their creaking hum was the hum of the heat, like the muffled roar of a far-off highway, only noticeable when it ceased. There were flies in the kitchen, cane toads on the driveway, golden orb spiders in the camellia and mosquitoes in the window blinds. Currawongs, butcher birds and magpies sang and shat in the frangipani tree while lizards hunted on the pool tiles. At night, possums crawled along the brush fence and bats fought over greenish bananas. Everything but my brother was alive. It's lovely, I think, to come across a writer um, who's so confident in her writing, in her prose, from the very first word of a book. I was curious, though, Elspeth, about the words on the cover of this book. I mean, the title, of course, but also this long subtitle, A Story of Alcohol, Grief and Death in Brisbane. 
And then to this strange little epithet, you've got someone to Liam, Liam <laughs> Peeper. It's complex and bittersweet and rich as youth itself. Now, I'll come back to the youth bit in a minute, but it turns out as I read this book that the subtitle is actually very apt. This is very clearly a story about alcohol as a thing in itself, and then a story about alcohol and the grief it's brought you. Is that, is that so, do you think? Yes. So um, this is a story about my brother, who was 21 when he died. And he, he jumped off the Story Bridge in Brisbane, and his blood alcohol limit was five times the legal, the legal requirement for driving. Um, and before his death, alcohol was something I had never thought about as a destructive force. So alcohol is a big part of my family and a big part of my family's stories. Um, there's a story in the book about my grandfather who was a barrister, a very good barrister. He had thick white hair with finger curls across his scalp and a big moustache and, and beard. And he was, a, he was a force, he was very funny. And he was a huge drinker, so he would visit my, my family and I and he would start drinking at 10 a.m and he would finish late in the evening, and all the while he'd be reading my mum's Harlequins or Mills and Boons. Um, and at his funeral, my aunt told a story about him um, which, which typifies him and the place of alcohol in my family. And he had been at a, a law event one evening, and he had been drinking a lot, and he was dressed in a, a suit and tuxedo, and he, at the end of the evening, he went home to, to get in his car and drive home. And um, he fumbled around for a while, and eventually a policeman came over and knocked on the car window. And the policeman said to him, are you all right, sir? And my grandfather said, I'm fine, officer, but somebody's stolen my fucking steering wheel. <laughs> and the police officer said to him, well, sir, you're sitting in the back seat. <laughs> and that was what alcohol was like in my family. It was, it was funny and it was a source of joy. Um, but also it, it had a darkness to it and and that was something that we never questioned. And when my brother died, there were many signifiers that he, his drinking had been out of control and, and that he had been doing things, reckless things leading up to his death. And, and these were things that we laughed at rather than were alarmed by. Um, and it, it was so sad to think that we had overlooked these things because he, his death was part of, I think, a culture which really celebrates big drinkers. Um, and in that way, this book is soaked through with alcohol, pardon the pun. There's a, there's a very telling line towards the end of the book which kind of ties into what you were just saying where 
Um, you're looking back at yourself 10 years before. You're standing outside the Tote, which I guess is a hotel in Brisbane. I'm sorry. Ah, I'm not... no, the, the Tote is a, a, a famous Melbourne music pub. Okay. Yeah. Oh, Melbourne. Yeah. Okay, sorry, yeah. my apologies. Okay, there you go. <laughs> You say, I thought that once you came to the point where you were sober enough to drive home on a Saturday night, life must be unbearably boring. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I, I think in my early 20s, so the book sort of, it talks about my brother and it, it talks about what happened to him, but it also delves into um, my early 20s, which were extremely drunken and, and fun, but I also did so many things that I, I wish I hadn't done and, and things um, that I, I mean, I never sort of, it was never a question that I would go out um, many evenings during the week and get as drunk as possible. I, I, I never really considered that and, until after Alexander died again. And yeah, I just, I couldn't imagine um, a world where I was not drinking all the time. So I, um, I had an infection in my armpit in my early 20s, which is disgusting, and I had to go on antibiotics for it. And I, I didn't finish the course of antibiotics because I couldn't stop drinking. Um, and yeah, it, it, it was interesting, I, I finished the book at the Tote, which is a pub that my friends and I used to go to a lot. Um, and one of my friends, uh, the incident that Stephen was describing, one of my friend's um, partners was DJing that night and I was there with her and um, I left early and, and went home and I, I don't know, I just felt quite old and sad and I wasn't drinking and um, it, it was strange the way in which my, my whole life had sort of spun on an axis and I'd come round to this, this place where alcohol was not so much a part of it. Oh. The, you, you quote Chris Rain there in, in the book you, because you're talking about various people who have sort of addressed the problem of binge drinking in Australian culture. Sure. And, and he, has this, um, he has this kind of list of of, of, of things, the four reasons why people binge drink. And there's yes. one in there that, I, that, that he lists under the heading of identity, yeah. which I thought was really quite extraordinary. You know, often, often drinking to excess becomes part of a person's identity, so much that to stop it is a kind of psychological death. Yeah. Does, does that kind of ring a bell? Is that what you're talking about? Definitely. Yeah, I would say that that's very much a, a part of what I'm talking about. And, uh, and what I tried to address in the book, this compulsion to be drinking all the time and um, the way in, in which it just, alcohol was never like drugs, it was just something that we, we kind of took for granted that there would always be alcohol and we would always be drinking and I, I think that very much a part of giving up drinking is a part of giving up that identity of being a, a wild party time person and, and it's a hard thing to do and it's something that people are, are maybe in, because of that understandably touchy about and it's, so it's something that's difficult to discuss um, and, and perhaps I mean I, I often think about why the things that Alexander were, was doing were, were things that we would 
not alarmed enough about. And I, I, I think because alcohol was so much a part of my identity and a part of his identity, it was, it was never something that I, I thought that I could call him out on. One of the things that's so interesting about this book for me is that, I mean, while you're interviewing all these people, you're going to, to stay with people who, who go to schoolies to try and support mm -hmm. teenage people who are drunk so they don't kill themselves. Mm -hmm. You're going, talking to Chris Rain, you're talking to various other different organizations all the way through the book. And it's like you're kind of teasing out um, the role of alcohol in youth culture in Australia in, in a very fascinating way. But the, the, the point that makes it interesting to me is that it's about your journey, your personal journey. Mm. And what's extraordinary is that all the way through the writing of it or the reading of it, anyway, you're still drinking. Yes. And, and, and there's a part of me that's kind of rooting for you to say, <laughs> yes, she's going to get it, you know? She's going to stop. But you don't actually say that in the book. You kind of leave us hanging at the end of that. It seemed to me, in a way. Yeah, well, I haven't stopped drinking. Um, and, and I think I, I have stopped drinking in the in an extremely destructive way that I was. Yeah. Um, and I guess I, I wanted to be brutally honest about my drinking in it, and I wanted to be really honest about the fact that while I was writing this book, I, I had not as many as I used to, but many evenings where I did get incredibly drunk. Um, and I think that I wanted to write about that because I just wanted to show how hard it is and that human beings are, are flawed and I, I think that if you're writing about a subject like alcohol, you can't, and, and changing alcohol and changing the way that we think about alcohol, you can't come at it in a moralistic, self-righteous way because that's such a turn-off and it's such a turn-off for me, I would never... No, no, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I agree with that, yeah. Um, and. And I think that it's big drinkers. It, it's it's for me. It's I'm I'm very shy, and it's a crutch. Um, and I I think that it's also something that we have to have compassion towards. And I I did an interview with Richard Feidler, and he said to me, um, "Were you angry at your brother when he died?" And I said, "No, I'm just so sad." And he said, I would be furious. And I said, no, I was just incredibly, incredibly sad because I could see how it would happen. It wasn't an anomaly. Like, his death was within a, a culture that abetted, abetted this, and I was a part of it. And, and so I wanted to bring that compassion to my writing and compassion to myself um, just to show that this is a, a difficult thing and it's a... A difficult culture and it's it, it's an attractive culture um, and it's a complicated culture and and I hope I hope in being quite open I showed the complexities of that culture and and some of the difficulties um, that lie within trying to change it I think you have done that very clearly and and I think that's the strength of the book in some ways is that kind of there is a shamelessness about it that that allows you to discuss anything without yeah. attaching a moral, a moral, a morality to it, <laughs> sure. you would say, yeah. But at the same time, you know, the book speaks to all these things with its complexity, but if sure. you had to kind of sum it up, do you think, have you come to some conclusion about alcohol in youth culture in Australia during the process? 
Um, <laughs> many people have asked me this. Um, I, I mean, at the end of the book, I talk about um, the story bridge, and last year, suicide railings were erected along the length of the story bridge, and they had been in the works for about 10 years. I, I think, I, I can't remember exactly, but it's in the book, but um, I think it's 15 people jump off the story bridge each year. So <laughs> there are a lot of deaths. And my very tentative conclusion, I don't generally like to support the government, but I, I thought about this and, and how many people could have been saved, and my brother would not have been able to jump off the story bridge had the suicide railings been erected, and they, they were planned um, to, to be erected uh, like the plans came into place before he died. And I, I mean, I think perhaps we, we do need some legislation to be, be brought into place, like whether it's, it's earlier closing hours, which are very controversial, or um, um, higher taxes on alcohol, um, better enforcement of responsibility service of alcohol, like perhaps we need these measures as even if they're stopgap measures while the culture changes. I I just think that people will drink and people will drink to excess. If you have the substance, you're going to take it and you're going to experiment with it. And maybe you react to it in a way that makes you violent if you drink too much. Like maybe your physiology causes you to be a bad drunk and, and perhaps as a community we have to we have to acknowledge that and have compassion for these people and put measures in place that will prevent them from hurting them. Yeah. I, I that was my conclusion. And I know that that's a, a controversial conclusion. I think lots of people um, disagree, but I I think that, that was the only way that my I mean, my brother, his blood alcohol level shouldn't have gotten to five times the legal limit. Had the bar that he was in been serving alcohol responsibly, then he, he, the, he would have been kicked out long before he yeah. had gotten that drunk. And perhaps that's idealistic. I'm not, I'm not sure. But yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's the tentative conclusion I come to in the book. Um, I, but I, I also I, think I, it's I, cultural change is necessary yeah. as well. Yeah. Well, look, Elspeth, we, we're running out of time. Okay. So, so, but I think it is a really brave book, and, and I think it's exceedingly well written. I was terribly impressed with, with the way that you had expressed your thoughts and your ideas. Thank and, you. And uh, it's a great privilege to have you come up here to Milani. Thank, Thank you. It's you very a real much privilege to speak. Thank you.